We are continuing our study series on the life of Joseph. Um, Joseph is, I think, one of the most fascinating characters in the Old Testament. He is often referred to as a type of Christ. There are so many things in the life of Joseph that parallel into the life of Christ. And uh, he's one of the few Bible characters that we don't find anything really critical said of him. And uh, that's unique, because often when God shows us a, a Bible character, he paints some flaws and all. And yet when we get to the life of Joseph, there's really nothing... Um, you've got to look pretty hard to find something critical to say about Joseph. One of the things that you see in the life of Joseph is the idea that he understands that God is more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. Uh, Joseph does not have an easy journey. And Joseph goes through an awful lot of really difficult things. But Joseph always follows close and honors God in every single situation. And that's, that's a challenge for all of us. One of the things that you learn about the life of Joseph, and you're going to see this more and more as we come to the end of his story, is that Joseph really does learn to trust God. And in whatever situation he finds himself, he decides that he's going to make the best of it, and he's going to serve God. He does not blame his circumstances. He does not blame um, people for the things that happen to him. Uh, you find no bitterness. You find no animosity. You find no um, anger uh, in the life of Joseph. Um, one of the things that uh, you see in the life of, of Joseph is that he does not ever look at himself as a victim. And that's important. Uh, years ago, there was a little pamphlet um, put out, and it was really on the life of Joseph. And uh, it, it, the title of the pamphlet is Your Reactions Are Showing. And it talks about how in life, um, our... Reactions are often something that we don't plan. We plan to act. And the whole point of the little pamphlet, the little book, was this idea of what you find in the life of Joseph is he never reacts. He always acts. And when I was uh, involved in, uh, I worked for about three years for a Christian camp, year-round Christian camp, we would bring in counselors. And one of the things that we would, when we would, have a counselor who was kind of getting out of hand and maybe he was getting too competitive or um, uh, too tied up in the games and the competition that we were having. We had two phrases we would walk up and say to him. As leaders, we would just simply, I'd, we'd walk up and you'd put your arm around him and you go, I just want you to know your reactions are showing. And that was a reminder of them to tone it down. You know, the other thing we would walk up to them is, is uh, we would walk up and we would say, uh, remember the microscope. Because the idea was, as a counselor, these kids are looking to you, and they're going to magnify everything that you do. And so you are projecting here, This is you're making this a whole lot more important than it really is. It's just a game. And so we would we would constantly do that, and that's really what you see in the life of Joseph. He is put under the microscope. Literally, he ends up being the second most powerful person in all the world. And yet you find him, even in an opportunity to get back at his brothers, he doesn't. He doesn't. So where we've left off our story in the life of Joseph is Joseph, basically, they're, Egypt's in the middle of a famine they've gone through. Uh, the, the time of famine and 
they're about, they had seven years of plenty, and they're about two years into uh, the time of famine. There's five more years coming uh, of famine. Joseph's brothers have come. He has revealed himself to his brothers, and he has sent them to go get his dad. Now, here's what you need to remember about this story at this point. Joseph has been gone for 20-plus years, probably about 22 years, somewhere in there. Joseph didn't know if his dad was alive or dead. Um, his dad's 130 years old, by the way, at this point in time. Joseph um, asks when they come, is my dad still alive? And they say yes, and they say go get him. Joseph doesn't know if he's going to live to get back. Jacob, or Israel, as it's going to be talked about today in the passage, um, is 130 years old, and he is in Canaan, and he now has to leave the land that he was promised to, that his great-grandfather, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was promised. He now has to leave that land and go to Egypt that's a pagan country. So that's where we're going to pick up our story this morning, is um, Jacob, or Israel, and I'll tell you why we change his name in this passage in a minute, but because what happens is, up until now, we've always talked about him as Jacob. Now the Bible refers to him as Israel, because what you have to understand is the nation Israel, which is represented in Jacob, is now on the move. It's now about to leave Canaan and head to, head to Egypt. So Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob. Here am I, he replied. I am the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make unto you a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives and their carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport them. Jacob and all of his offspring went to Egypt, taking the livestock and the possessions they had in Canaan. Jacob brought them to Egypt, the sons and grandsons and daughters and granddaughters, all of his offspring. The names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and the descendant, who went into Egypt. And he now lists, in the next 17 verses, all of those names. And I'm not even going to try. We're just going to... Go, there's, a, there, there's like 66 of them in there, okay? Um, all those who went to Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting the son's wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons that had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the member of Jacob's family which went to Egypt, he said there's 70 in all. Now, Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. This was before Google Maps, okay? When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready, and he went to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. And as soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father, and he wept for a very long time. Israel said to Joseph, I am now ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers in his father's household, I'll go up and speak to Pharaoh. I will say to him, my brothers and father's household who are living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They tend livestock. They have brought along their flocks and herds and everything that they have. And when Pharaoh calls you in to ask you what is your occupation, you need to answer. Your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood, just as our father did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the land of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Now we get to chapter 47. It says, And Joseph went and told Pharaoh, My father and brothers, their flocks, herds, 
uh, herds and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan, now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? Now, remember what they were supposed to say? Okay, so your servants are shepherds. And well, that's not what you're supposed to say, but, you know, they didn't listen to their brother. But anyway, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. And they also said to him, we've come here for a while because the famine is so severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now please let your servants settle in the land of Goshen. I'm sure at this point, Joseph's going, oh, guys, could you not just do what I have? But anyway, notice what happened. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. This is a very unusual thing, but notice what it says. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and he went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his fathers and brothers in Egypt, gave them property in the best of the land in the districts of Ramses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's households with food according to the number of their children. So this is what happens. So let's walk it through. Let's make sure we understand it, and then let's learn some things. So first of all, Jacob, Israel, heads to Beersheba. Now, here's what you need to remember. The last time he was in Beersheba was with Esau, and he had fled Beersheba in order to go to Canaan because his brother, because he had deceived his dad and, and gotten the birthright from his brother, for, from his brother. Now he's back in Beersheba. This is the land of his father. And it's interesting, if you look at a map and you look at Israel, Beersheba, you have to think of Beersheba as kind of the, um, the uh, in our country, um, what's, what's, what's the southern border of Texas between Texas and Mexico? The Rio Grande, is that it? Okay. You know how the Rio Grande separates like America and Mexico? Beersheba. Egypt. In other words, once he leaves Beersheba, we're in a foreign land now. And he understood that Abraham had been promised the land of Canaan, and he is now really nervous about the next step, the next part of his journey. And so he's really seeking God at this point, and God comes to him and says, Jacob, Jacob, this is very similar. The, the language is very similar to other times that God has spoken to, to his people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And so <clears throat> he says, you know, Jacob, Jacob, and Jacob says, here, here am I. And God looks at him, he says, God tells him, he says, two things you need to know about. Number one, I'm going with you. And number two, you're coming back. Now, you need to realize that in the story of the Bible, the children of Israel are not going to come back into that land for almost 400 years. It's going to be 400 years before the nation leaves Egypt to come back, and then they're going to wander for 40 years. They're going to take Jacob's bones. Actually, we'll get to this later in this story um, in, in a few weeks, when Jacob actually says, I want my bones back in Egypt, or back in Canaan. And they actually make the pilgrimage back. And then come back to it. So you, you, you have this story, and he really just seeks God and says, God, I, I need to know for sure you, this is what you have for me. And God says, yeah, you need to go. It's okay. Um, and then you have him heading down into Egypt. And you have this scene where 
before uh, Jacob meets <coughs> Joseph, uh, he sends Judah, and that's interesting, but he sends Judah to go ahead and, and, and meet with Joseph. And the key to this story, and I, I can't, I don't have time to unpack all of it, so I'm just going to try to unpack a little bit of it, is when Jacob and Joseph meet. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. As far as Jacob is concerned, Joseph has been dead for 20 plus years. The last thing he expects to see is his son. 20 years plus have passed, about 22, probably, maybe even more than that. 20 plus years have passed. And it's interesting that the language, if if you can peel this back, and if we were Hebrew-speaking people, and we could look at the language, here's what you're going to find. This whole passage is packed with this idea. When, For instance, when he says, I'm going to get this right, um, when he says uh, he went up to see his dad, it's actually the same phrase that is used of angels going up to meet. Um, the NIV doesn't use this, but the other translations use this. It says, when, when Jacob looks at him and says, since I have seen your face, it's actually the same phrase that is used when Jacob is wrestling with the angel at Peniel and he's dealing with seeing God, so to speak. In other words, what, what, what he says in this moment is, this is a God moment in his life. To be able to see his son that he has thought died 20 plus years ago. And you've heard me talk about often in this passage, you see this idea, this theme of weeping. It says here that Joseph weeps for a very, very long time. I like what one commentator said. He said, the text doesn't say that Jacob weeps. And one of the ideas behind this is the idea that Jacob is all cried out. He's been weeping for 20 plus years. Of all of that, that's why when Pharaoh, when Pharaoh, he meets Pharaoh, he says, I've had 130 years and they've been a tough 130 years. He's had to run from his brother. He's lost it. You have the Simeon deal. You have um, the deal with Tamar. You have, you, you have all of this grief that's been packed around his life. And it's almost like now it's with Joseph. And this is, it's like he's so happy to see him, but there are no more tears from him. He's about as cried out as you can get. And so you see this God kind of moment that happens. And basically then he picks five brothers to go before Pharaoh. Again, there's that number five popping up again. We saw it with Benjamin. We see five more years of famine. We see five brothers that he chooses. And he basically tells him, he says, look, you need to understand what you do, Egyptians see as detestable. So don't tell them you're shepherd. Just tell them you take care of, of, of livestock. Um. And, of course, the brothers, they're, they're clueless, and they walk in and go, yeah, we're shepherds, give us Goshen. Um, now, actually, there's, there's a lot of thinking behind this. Because you have to remember, in this culture of kings and kingdoms and rulers, the fact that Joseph's 11 brothers and daddies show up could be perceived as a threat to the kingdom. But the fact that they want to go way out in the distance 
away from everybody else into the country to take care of sheep is actually a good thing because Pharaoh's not going to look at them as a threat. And so Pharaoh says, yeah, you can, you can, you can have Goshen. That's, that's the best grazing land, and that's where we put all the, all the farm people that we don't want around us. You know, we move them away, and, and you know as well as I do, you, those of you who are farm people, that's the reason you are where you are, because you want to be away from people. I still don't understand the oxymoron part of your life that says, let's take a vacation and camp six feet away from somebody. Um, but that's your thing, not my thing. Um, but, you know, we, we do that in our culture. We like our space. And so they came to him and said, we need a place for all of our animals. And and Pharaoh basically then looks at Joseph and he says, you know what? Hey, give them Goshen. They can have Goshen. They can take care of their animals. You know what? If if they're really, really, really good, have them take care of some of my stuff too. And so he doesn't see them as a threat. But then he says, "I I want to meet your dad. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about the idea that Joseph had said to his brothers, I'm like a father to Pharaoh. So we don't know how young Pharaoh is at this point. The Pharaoh is at this point. Um, but Joseph, who's only around 40, 50-ish at this point in the story, uh, Joseph is kind of like a dad to Pharaoh. So you can imagine the honor that he would give somebody like, like Jacob, who's 130 years old. And so Pharaoh wants to meet him. And Pharaoh bring, and Joseph brings him in. And what you see that is so unique in this story is Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Actually, twice. One when he comes in and one when he gets ready to leave. Now, here's why that's so unique. In most cultures, it is the greater that blesses the lesser. You don't see it flipped. You see the lesser honoring the greater, but you don't see the greater, but when, when, when the, the greater is always the one who gives the, the, the blessing. And so for A, for Pharaoh to accept it is incredible. It speaks well of his relationship with Joseph. But the idea that Jacob was comfortable enough to do that um, is, an, is, is an incredible statement, really, from the whole story as you look at it. So that's just an understanding of it. So let's talk about a couple of takeaways that I think will help us as, as we go into the week. Um, here's the first one. The first one is, I think, if you look at the life of Jacob, Israel, whatever you want to call him, he's coming to the end of his journey. This is a big step to leave Canaan and everything that he knows to go into a foreign land. He's going to die in that foreign land. This is really the last 10% of his life, so to speak. Notice what he does before he takes this journey. Before he leaves that Canaan, what does he do? He seeks God's face to say, God, is this really for sure what you want for me? I believe that in life there's all kinds of stages for life. And we all find ourselves at different points in the stage of life and our journey and those kinds of things. And one of the things that I want to challenge you with, because I think that's what this passage teaches, is this idea that as you get ready to go into that next phase of life, whatever it is for you, 
Really make sure that God's in what you're getting ready to do. He wants to know that this is where God wants him. He wants to be assured that God is still with him as he goes into that into Egypt. And he wants to make sure actually that he's going to come back out of Egypt, that, that he's going to come back to this land because this is home for him. Um, I'm at a point in life where um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't intend on, on leaving the world tomorrow, but I, I don't know what God has for me. But I do know this. I'm not as young as I used to be when I got here. Um, that was 30 years ago. And um, I do know this. I can't do this forever. So I, I'm, at, I'm at kind of Jacob's point in life where I'm sitting there saying, okay, Lord, what do you have next for me? What do you have next for this ministry? The board and I have been talking for a year now on this idea of what's next. How do we continue to go forward, and what does God want for us as we go forward? And it's really important for us to have a transition as we go forward that honors the past, but yet also takes care of the future. And so, you know, we're working through what, what God may have for us for the next generation that's going to lead and, and, and pastor and do this thing. Um, and again, I, you know, I have a vested interest because we're talking about the person who's going to pastor my kids and my grandkids. Um, and like I say, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't intend to, you know, I, ain't, I haven't got any plans for like, you know, a trip to Hawaii and just, you know, live on the beach. Um, but uh, just, that just sounds like fun to me. I know some of you are like, oh, that'd be heaven. Uh, not for me. But anyway, um, I just don't have that. So I have to sit down and we're sitting down and saying, okay, God, what do you have for us next? Um, and, and it's so important for you to understand that whatever phase God has for you, whatever next step in that journey is, it is really important that you seek God's face for that. Because Jacob doesn't want to leave Beersheba. He doesn't want to leave Canaan until he's sure God is involved in the next part of his life. And I think there's a great lesson for us. Again, this is a guy who wrestled with God. This is a guy who's hobbling because, you know, he and God went, went toe-to-toe, so to speak. And he said, I'm not leaving until you bless me. It was important to him. And I think it's important to us. You know, those of you who, um, your grandparents, um, again, that's, that, that's the stage of life that, that, that I'm, I, I'm in right now. Um, Don't waste it. Don't waste it. God, God didn't put you as a grandparent to just shove them full of candy and let them go on their way. Um, God's got a role for you. Figure out what that is. Whether that be helping your, your kids or whether it be helping your grandkids. As uh, There's a role in that. And it's not just simply to be the, the party animal for the family. Um, you have a role. Figure out what that is. You know, as a church, we have a responsibility for these kids and these, and, and, and these, these people who are trying to parent today. And let me tell you something. Parenting is completely different today. 
I went on a zoo trip uh, this Friday, this Thursday. I don't usually do this, but two of my grandkids were going to the zoo, and I said, in a moment of weakness, I said, I will go. <sighs> I got to tell you, I watched as they started to unload the car at the zoo. Out comes the stroller. Out comes the sunscreen. Out comes the battery-operated fan for the stroller. Out comes the cart that we had to haul all the stuff around in that the kid could get into if they needed to. And I'm looking at it going, we're going to the zoo. If they get tired, we go home. We don't haul them around in a cart and a stroller. You know, and I'm looking at all of this stuff and I'm going, you got to be kidding me. And then, of course, there's the let's put them in a car seat thing. You know, you feel like you're strapping them and I'm looking at it going, I just remember, um, you know, uh, and I'm looking at all of this stuff and I'm going, just to keep up with it. And then, you know, I don't know if you know this, but car seats are like milk. They have an expiration date on them. You only use them for so long, and then you got to go get another one. And I'm looking at it going, what in the world? You know, and, and again, so, you know, so, I mean, I, at one point I'm standing there watching the wagon and the stroller thing, and it's like, okay, this is my new job. Um, when can I go get ice cream? Uh, that was my whole thing. But again, you know, we had a good time and all of that. But again, you know, I look at this and it's like, look, look, it's our responsibility to help them. It's our responsibility to, 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 to give. Figure out what God wants for you in the, st- in the stage of life you're in. I think another lesson that I see as I, as I look at this passage, and I think this is one that I think we forget. Joseph's just a pilgrim in Egypt. It's not home for him. He doesn't really ever get comfortable in Egypt. In fact, as he gets ready to die, he says, the one thing I don't want is I don't want my bones to stay in Egypt. I want to go back to Canaan. You bury me back in Canaan. And when we get to that point, they're going to make that journey. What's interesting is that that Joseph makes the same request. A lot of people don't realize it, but do you realize that Joseph's bones sat in Egypt for 400 years? And that when they leave Egypt with Moses, one of the things they take with them is Joseph's bones. And for 40 years in the wilderness, they haul around Joseph's bones to make sure they get back to to Canaan. Because you see, they never saw Egypt as home. I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that this ain't home. We get really comfortable here, and we want our life to be smooth here, and we want our life here to be long. But the reality of it is, this is but a dot in eternity for our time here. You have an opportunity to make tremendous impact while you're here. But this is not home. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, heaven is your home. That's where your citizenship is. Those of you who have traveled abroad, you know what it's like to come in and 
hand your passport to an immigration officer, and an immigration officer looks at you and says, welcome home. Well, you need to understand this. Our passport doesn't say earth. It says heaven. And there is coming a time at which we finally get to leave this foreign land and go home. And I want to, I think sometimes we just forget that. We think this life is what it's all about. It's not. And Jacob, as he gets ready to leave, he says, God, I, I got to know a couple of things. And God says, don't worry. A, I'm with you. And B, you're coming back here. Whatever you go through here is all in preparation for there. Whatever you and I experience here is more about what awaits for us than what we're going through here. And we forget that. It is literally, when you go to the book of Corinthians, it says, we are tenting here. And that's not a fifth wheel. Okay, That's like a pup tent thing. Um, we're just tenting here. These bodies, take care of them. But the bottom line is they're just temporary shells. Our soul is what's eternal. We, have, we are eternal beings with an eternal destiny, either with or without God, depending on what we do with Jesus Christ. And I just want to remind you, because one of the things that you see in the life of, of, of Jacob here is this idea that he doesn't really want to go to Egypt, but he's willing to go to Egypt if that's what God wants for him. Because Egypt is not home. This world is not our home. Don't forget that. The last thing I think that you see in this story um, is the reunion that Joseph and Jacob have together. Can you imagine somebody that you thought was gone, probably even had a funeral for, all of a sudden now you're embracing The emotion with that. And when, when the Bible describes it, it describes it in terms, it actually describes it in terms of what we call a theophany, where, where, where it's the idea of God meeting with somebody. It's, it's such a God moment. I don't know if you've ever had any of those in your life. I've been very fortunate in that I have had some. Where you just knew there was something supernatural about that moment in time. And you want to, if you, you know, you, as much as you can, you want to encapsulate it in your memory so you never forget it. But I've been fortunate enough to have some of those in my, in my life. Um, where it, it, you just know God was in the middle of the whole thing. Have you ever had a reunion with somebody you haven't seen for a long time? And you go, hey, we just picked up like where we left off like 30 years ago. And da 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 da. Ever had a reunion with somebody you haven't seen for a long time? Jacob and Joseph get together. And literally, it says there's incredible weeping. And again, maybe Jacob cried too. I can't imagine he didn't, but the text doesn't say that. And there's this incredible reunion. Some of you sitting here have lost loved ones who are believers. 
And there's no question you missed them. And there's no question that it is hard. And I don't want to minimize any of that. But what I do want to remind you of is this. There's a reunion coming. And there is a time coming as a Christian when I get to see those people again. And it will be unlike anything you have ever experienced in life. It is the hope that we have as believers. It is the thing that we look forward to. And if you've been to a funeral that I've done of a believer, you will often hear me say at the graveside what I say many times. I never say goodbye at the graveside of a believer. Never. Because when the Bible talks about death for a Christian, it refers to it as sleep. You went to bed last night looking forward to sleeping and getting up in the morning. You didn't fear it. You didn't sit there and go, oh, I'm afraid to sleep. I don't want to fall asleep. I don't want to fall asleep. No, if you're like me, it was like, how fast can I fall asleep? Um, And you get up in the morning in order to start the new day. Now, I've learned that as I get older, it takes longer to get moving, but you get going. When I stand at the graveside of a believer, I don't say goodbye. I say, good night, love you, I'll see you in the morning. Same thing I said to my kids growing up for years. Good night, love you, see you in the morning. You see here a little glimpse of the reunion that you get in eternity. When Joseph and Jacob meet after 20 plus years of absence, not knowing whether they were alive or dead, Joseph not knowing whether or not he would ever get to talk to his father again. Jacob, looking at his son in all of his Egyptian garb. But I guarantee you, when their eyes met, he knew exactly who he was. And he looked at his son, who he had not seen for 20-plus years. I can't imagine the reunion that awaits us when we step from this world as a believer. As a pastor, the thing that encourages me, I guess, more than anything else, is I'm going to have people that through the years I got to teach the Bible to that are actually going to be teaching me. Pastor, come here. Let me show you this. You don't, you don't know this about heaven yet because you haven't been here long enough, but here, 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 here's what's going on. That's the reunion we get. That's what we get to look forward to. I think, I believe, we have a different body than we have here, the glorified body, but it has some of the same characteristics. But one of the things that I think is unique is just as they were able to recognize Christ in his glorified body, 
which I think is different from the one we will have in heaven. But I think there's this idea, there's this idea that even though Joseph stood there looking like an Egyptian, Jacob knew exactly who he was. And even though I think in heaven people may look differently than what I know them as when they were here, I'll know them. I'll know them. And I want to challenge you, because I know sometimes when we deal with people that we've lost, and um, I, I, I don't... I don't think loss gets easier. I just think you learn different coping mechanisms for it. Um, I think you learn to handle it differently as as time goes on. But I think one of the things that we need to remember is for those of us who are believers, there is a reunion that awaits us that is unlike anything you can you you've ever experienced here. And our time here. We're just strangers. We're just pilgrims. We're just, we're just journeying on this. We're just camping here for a while. Our eternity is set with our Savior. And that's what we long for. And this world is not home. And one of the things that you see in this story is you see that in the life of Jacob. Before he leaves, he's like, Lord, i got to know. A, I'm coming back, and B, you're going with me until I do come back. And I think in whatever part God has for you, in whatever part of your journey, I think that's important that you spend some time with God and make sure this is what God has for you, and this is how we go forward. And um, we go forward with eternity in mind. So I end this morning with this idea. We're reminded that we're pilgrims here. This is not home. We should never get comfortable enough to believe that this is what life is really all about. In every stage of our life, we have to seek God. His purpose and his plan. And we have to trust him with every aspect of our life. Let's pray. Lord, help us, guide us, direct us. Lord, when we lose people that we love, people that we care about, sometimes it's easy to focus so much on our life here. But, Lord, we understand that there is a life to come for those of us that are still here. So, Lord, help us to be prepared for it. More importantly, Lord, help us to live in light of it and make an impact for eternity with our time here. And for those of us that, uh, Lord, we've lost loved ones who we miss, will you comfort and encourage our hearts, Lord, in that great day coming, where we will one day all be together again. And uh, look forward to that day. Until then, Lord, use us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.